Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Again, we had a great morning with the kids. I, I just love experiencing Christmas that thought of experiencing it as a child, you know, that perspective. Did anyone else growing up uh, take part in a kid's play in church? Maybe you had an acting role, a speaking role, a singing role. One of my favorite memories was uh, I was with my friend Phil, I don't know if he's here this morning, um, and then John's brother Derek, and we were the three wise men in our kid's play. And we had a speaking role, and then we moved to a different part of the stage, and we had a singing part. We had a three guys singing this part, three-part harmony, if you can believe that, at the ages of 10, 11, and 12. I don't know whose idea that was, who came up with that. It seemed like a bad idea. Um, but we got to the end of our speaking parts, and Phil, one of the wise men, he, he walked off stage, forgetting that we still had to do the song. So here, me and Derek are there standing like, okay, we're supposed to do this person that's, the song is meant for three people, it's just the two of us. All of a sudden, we hear yelling backstage, Phil runs back out just in time to sing the song with us. So just, just great memories. I hope you have memories like that. And um, this is a special time for children. You probably have memories that stick with you, traditions that you grew up with. There's something about looking at things from a child perspective. It's, it's typically more grand. It's more exciting. And uh, that, that childlike faith, that trusting, that sweetness, sometimes we can lose that as we get older. And today's message is entitled Childlike or Childish. Childlike, because there's a difference, right? Childlike, you think of that sweetness that naivety, that innocence, when you think of childish, you think of tantrums and being upset, immaturity, foolishness. All of us have at one point in our life been a child, right? I want to make sure I'm getting everybody on that. Everyone's been a child here, 10 out of 10 people statistically. Even Jesus came to earth, not as a grown adult, as a child. Every single person since Adam and Eve has been came to earth as a child. And so looking at the progression of a human from baby to adult, in this Christmas season, we, we experience a childlike wonder. If you remember the first time that you saw Christmas lights and a Christmas tree and you received presents and you saw the nativity scene, there's something about when you experience those things for the first time. But, but you know what? You can also remain childlike as an adult. In fact, Jesus explains how we can do that and the importance of being childlike in our faith. Now, I can be childlike, but even as an adult, I can be childish, right? My wife would say I can be childish sometimes. When I watch the Browns lose on a Sunday morning, I can be childish if I'm not careful. If I'm playing a board game with friends, and let's just say hypothetically John sabotages my game in this board game. I can begin to act childish because he, he beat me in this game. I can begin to sabotage him. I'm just saying hypothetically, this has never happened before, but I could act childish and upset. Let's look at two scriptures this morning on what Jesus says about childlike faith, how we can be childlike and enter the kingdom of heaven. Look first at Matthew chapter 18. If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew 18. Let's read the first four verses. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus 
saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, Jesus did this, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples apparently are having this debate on who is the greatest, who's the best. And it's ironic to me that they come to the person who is inarguably the best of all, the greatest person of all in Jesus. And I wish in that moment that Jesus would have said, um, the greatest person, well, uh, that's, that's me, actually. I'm the greatest. I'm the best. But he probably wouldn't be Jesus if he responded in that way. And instead, he, he calls a child to him, places this child in the middle of the group, and he says, anyone that wants to enter the kingdom must be like this child. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you turn and become like children. He says, unless you turn, that first word turn, meaning you need to make a change in your course of conduct. You need to make a change in your perspective and direction because you're looking at this the wrong way at the moment. You have to become like a child. And Jesus initially, he says, not only do you need to become like a child to be the greatest, you need to be like a child in order to just enter the kingdom of heaven. So this childlike mentality, it's vital to our eternal security. And then he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Our first point today, three points on how we can be childlike. Number one, we have to have childlike humility. Starts with humility. We have to humble ourselves. That's being childlike not childish. We see the disciples in this moment, they are being childish, right? They're saying, I'm the best. I'm the greatest. No one's better than me. For the disciples to hear they have to be like this child, it was probably disappointing. Because in that day, children were regarded more as property than individuals. They were, they were to be seen and not heard. Children were of really of no importance in society. They were nothing more than just a, a responsibility for you to have. And we'll see later on in scripture how Jesus actually changes their perspective later on. But he's using how society perceives children to demonstrate how we should put others in humility before ourselves. In just asking the question to Jesus, who's the greatest? It was showing how far off the disciples were from humility. And Jesus explains, actually, if you want to be the greatest, you got to be willing to be the lowest. you got to be willing to humble yourselves and focus more on others than on yourself. Again, children were considered, they were the last and the least. And that's how Jesus instructed us to think of ourselves, last. How does the saying go, and please help me because I did, it's not my notes, but it's not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. 
Does that make sense? It's not, it's not condemning and saying, oh, I'm the worst, I'm terrible. No, it's just not putting yourself always in the, in the forefront of your mind. It's thinking about other people more than yourself. We know that Jesus, he would humble himself all throughout his life. From the beginning, from his birth, it was a humble beginning, a humble birth. He would then, when he had disciples, he would be washing their feet in humility. He was always more concerned with others rather than his own status. He wasn't the person who had to be the center of attention. In fact, he would often slip away from the crowds. Be like, I, I got to get out of here. This is not my time right now. He modeled childlike humility. He was approachable. He was willing to talk to anyone. Jesus went on to, on to talk more about the kingdom of heaven and he continued to use childlike as an illustration. The next, next passage I want to show you, if you look at it in Matthew, you actually go just over to the next chapter. We're going to look at Mark's version of the details. It's just a little bit more in depth. So we can talk about Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Let's read these four verses together. It says, and they were bringing children to him, talking about Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Again, this passage can be found throughout the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Mark's passage gave us a little bit more detail. First of all, let, let's understand what's happening, okay? Parents are bringing their children to Jesus to be touched and blessed. And when we say children, we mean young kids. If you look at Luke's account of this gospel, he actually uses the word infants, Infants were being brought to Jesus to be prayed for and blessed. And I looked up that Greek word for infant. This is, this is a little bit of a side note here, but, but bear with me. That same Greek word in Luke for infant is the same Greek word that Luke uses when the baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy when she saw Mary. That is profound to think that the Bible says that a baby in the womb, an unborn baby, has leaped at the news of Jesus' birth. Are you getting this? How remarkable is it that while culture is debating when life begins, the Bible's already told us that an unborn baby sensed the impending arrival of the Savior of the world. Come on, that is some good news. If only our culture would focus more on what the inspired Word of God said, we could have a lot less arguments because it's already been declared in the Word of God. Amen. All right, I had to get that out before I continued on. So parents were bringing their young children to receive a touch from God. And Jesus would bless them as He held them. And He laid His hands on them. If you want to know why we, when we pray over children and dedicate them to God, we're, we're praying and I, I might put my hands on them. I might ask you to stretch out your hands to them. This is a biblical model. 
We see Jesus do it here in the scripture. It's actually all throughout the scripture, laying on of hands as we pray. In Acts chapter 6, they were designating people to help with the widows, help with those that were in need. And and they assigned Philip and and Stephen and says they laid their hands on them as they prayed. You see when people pray and lay their hands, you've seen that in commissioning people like that. You can see it when people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can see it when people are being prayed to be healed. You can see it when there's dedication. All these things. Even in 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. There is over and over again this model of laying on of hands. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, we might pray for people in the front. And if they're comfortable with it, I might put a hand on their shoulder. Because this is a biblical model. We can see through commissioning, praying for the Holy Spirit, healing, all these things, praying as we lay our hands on people. There's power in praying for one another. And Jesus in this moment takes the little children in his hands and he blesses them. One of the things that Jesus was doing in this moment is he was showing everyone around that children had the same importance to him as adults. He was showing them that they are equally worthy of love, equally worthy of our attention. Because, again, in that time period, children had little to no importance. They couldn't contribute anything to the household, but yet Jesus said, to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then he went on to say, if you do not receive the kingdom of God like a child, you will not enter the kingdom. The second thing I want to look at as childlike, how we can be as Christians, childlike humility. And number two, childlike dependence. Childlike dependence. Dependence, that's that's the opposite of what we want in life, right? At the age of 18, we, we want to be independent. We want to make it on our own. We want to build something on our own. And there are good attributes to wanting to be a self starter and create things, but but in our spiritual life. We have to remain dependent on God as our source. And think about as a child, they they have to remain dependent on their parents. Parents, when you're going to be doing tax forms soon, I know I shouldn't bring that up. This is a really mean thing to do. But you're going to have to eventually write dependents. You're going to have to check off how many dependents you have in your house as you do taxes. They are completely dependent on you. Babies can't feed themselves, they can't clothe themselves, they can't clean themselves, they can't transport themselves. Children have to rely on their parents. And more than that, they rely on their parents for their viewpoint. They see everything through the lens of their parents. Their perspective is shaped by your parents. They're completely dependent. Now think about in regards to Christmas time. A child cannot create a Christmas experience for themselves. I don't care what Home Alone says, Kevin McAllister does. You cannot go buy all the presents for everyone and decorate and cook. My Christmas experience was, it was shaped by my parents. The time and the energy and the finances that it, it took for them. Just like we rely on our parents, our ability to enter the kingdom of God is fully dependent on Jesus. 
If Jesus did not come to the world and die for our sins and, and, and live us, die a, a gruesome death on the cross and raise again, then our faith is useless. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. We as Christians are fully dependent on what Jesus did and, and we have to accept the gift of salvation. Friends, you can do a million good things in your lifetime. But if you do not accept the gift of salvation, you lose out on the kingdom of God and eternity in heaven. Because Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It's not of your own work so that no one can boast about what they've done. You can only depend on the work of Christ. On this earth, oftentimes, we, what helps is, is not what you know. We think about being dependent on people. A lot of things you've heard the phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? You sometimes are dependent on somebody to help you in a situation. Who you know gets you access. Like, if you, you got a guy for this, you got a guy for that, is there any, you got a, a shoe guy, you, you know a guy that can help you get shoes. No, I'm seriously asking, is there any shoe guys here, I need help getting shoes, I'm, I'm asking for myself, no. You, you, maybe you know a guy, if you're moving, who's that guy with a truck, right? Oh, I've got a trailer, yeah, you, you got a guy, you know a guy, that helps you out. Maybe there's a tool guy, oh yeah, I've got a chainsaw, I've got a stud finder, i got whatever you need, you, you know a guy to get you what you need. You know what I need a lot of times this year? I need help wrapping gifts. I need help writing thank you notes. I'm, and I, thankfully, I married the right person for that. I'm like, hey, Shanna, can you please write this note to somebody? Because if I do it, it's going to look like a ransom note. You know, it's like Merry Christmas or you're in trouble. Like, um, it's just going to look really sloppy. If I wrap the present, I'm like, anything for my parents, I'm like, Shanna, can you please wrap that? Because if I do, it's going to look like a five-year-old tried to put it together. It's, it's going to be rough. I saw, I think Jim McLean posted some article about how many pieces of tape it takes a guy to wrap a present. It's a lot more than ladies do sometimes. Think about how you're dependent. Any parents in the room willing to say, I'm a little bit dependent on my child to help me with my electronics, uh, my phone sometimes, or the computer, or the printer. The printers are the worst to have to figure out. A few weeks ago during Thanksgiving weekend, my dad on Black Friday bought a new computer. Not because of the sales or the deals that day, but because my younger brother was in town living with them for the weekend and he could help them set it up. My dad's like, I am fully dependent on you to help set this thing up and know how it works. There are things that you will not have access to without knowing the right person to get you there. And I'm here to tell you that the kingdom of God is one of those things. We do not have access to God without Jesus Christ. That's the miracle of Christmas. That he would come down to earth so that we could have access to the Father. Your eternal security is dependent on your relationship with Jesus. Do you acknowledge him as Lord of your life? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? It cannot be, hear me on this, you cannot rely on someone else's relationship with God to get you to heaven. That is not how it works. Oh, my pastor's got a good relationship with God and I'm close with him, so we're good. It's not how it works. 
Oh, my spouse, they're, they're really close to God. They're praying all the time. I, I can get through with them. Not how it works. I hope that sounds silly to you, but it's actually how people think sometimes. You have to be dependent on Jesus for your relationship with God. It comes down to you. Matthew 7, 21, it, it talks about that. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say in that passage, you can do amazing things for God. You can, you can cast out demons in my name. You can prophesy in my name. You can do all these things. But at the end of the day, I may say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Because no amount of works can get you into heaven. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. We can do great things for God, but actually neglect our walk with God. So we have to have childlike humility, childlike dependence. And the last one, quite possibly the most important one, number three, we have to have childlike faith. We must have faith like a child. Belief with innocence. We know Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the foundation of the entire Christian life. Because if you don't have faith, you can't please God. So what does childlike faith mean? Well, a child hasn't had circumstances and pressures and doubts and things that make them doubt whether they believe in God or not. They automatically believe in God's good intentions. Whatever he gives them, he says, well, if it's from God, I know it must be good. Because God will only give me good things. But sometimes through circumstances in life, we might start to doubt whether God is truly giving us good gifts. I don't know if this hits too close to home for you, but a lot of you as children may have believed in Santa Claus, right? I hope I'm not breaking any um, traditions or beliefs here. Maybe you did Elf on the Shelf growing up. And some people, like, I, we, we knew it was for fun. We had a good time, and we had the tooth fairy and things like that that automatically give us quarters as we, uh, as we yanked out teeth from our mouth. But um, as you grow up, you, you realize some of these things of what's true and what's not. And a few weeks ago, we, we had Thanksgiving, and I watched what I consider to be the most appropriate movie right after Thanksgiving, and that's Miracle on 34th Street because it starts on Thanksgiving Day. And not that 90s garbage remake. I'm talking about the original 1940s black and white. Give me the original, right? And there's a part in the story, let me explain it quickly. Mrs. Walker, she's in charge of the parade flow, right? And, and, and their Santa Claus for the day is, is out of commission, not going to be able to do his job. And this man is walking down the street, and, and he looks like Santa Claus, and this lady asks him to play Santa Claus on the float. And so he does such a good job, because he actually is Santa Claus, and they ask him to then be the Santa Claus in their Macy's department store. And so he begins to do that, and he does a great job. Well, Mrs. Walker, she is very practical, and she has a daughter, Susan, who's grown up with this reality and saying, you know, Santa Claus is not real, all these things. But then she begins to, to wonder and think about it. And one day... Children are coming up to the Santa Claus, and she witnesses this moment of, this is what I would consider childlike faith. 
And when I watched this part, it, it spoke to me. And we're going to, I know it's not at the movie series, but it was okay, okay if we watch just like a one-minute clip of this video. Is that okay? Bell's okay with it, so we're going to do it. Let's play this one-minute clip here. Well, young lady, what's your name? I'm sorry she doesn't speak English. She's Dutch. She just came over. She's been living in an orphan's home in Rotterdam ever since. We've adopted her. I told her you wouldn't be able to speak to her, but when she saw you in the parade yesterday, she said you were Santa Claus, as she calls you, and you could talk to her. Well, I didn't know what to do. Hello. Ik ben blij dat je gekomen bent. Oh, Ben Santa Claus. Yes, I guess Ik wist it, Belle. Ik was zeker that it would sabbel kruipen. Natuurlijk. Zeg maar wat je zou willen hebben, Ben Santa Claus. Niks. Ik heb van alles. Ik wil alleen maar bij deze lieve dame zijn. <laughs> wil je wat woord mee zingen? Sinterklaas kapoentje, geef het in mijn schoentje, geef het in mijn laarsje. Dank u Sinterklaasje, Sinterklaas kapoentje, geef wat in mijn schoentje, geef wat in mijn laarsje. Dank Come on, how cute is that clip? Like, it's adorable. It's absolutely adorable. I don't know why, but when I watched that scene, it hit me that this girl, there's really no reason to believe. It doesn't seem sensible. It doesn't seem possible. But yet she believed and her faith was rewarded. Do I always understand how and why God does what he does? No, but I, I trust God with childlike faith, knowing that anything he gives me, anything he tells me, anything he asks of me is in my best interest. I wonder how many times that we miss out because we don't have the faith to believe. Oh, God, God couldn't be asking me to do that. He couldn't be asking me to go talk to my coworker about him or, or ask him if he needs some prayer for something. Doesn't God know that's like the meanest coworker I have? Why would God dare to ask me to talk to that guy? Why would God ask me to go pay for that person's meal at the restaurant? I, I don't know them. I don't know what they're doing with their life. Why would God ask me to do those things? When we have childlike faith, it's easier to say, okay, God, I don't really understand why you're asking me to do that, but I trust that if you're asking me to do something, it's in my best interest it's to bless somebody else in my life. I choose to have childlike faith. Reminds me of the scripture in Proverbs chapter 3. I know it's Pastor Dennis's favorite. 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. Don't, don't lean on yourself. Trust in God. Put your whole heart, your whole faith in God. Because when you put your faith in him, he's going to direct your path. He's going to guide you. All by trusting in God, putting your faith in God. It's not enough to simply be near to God. To, to read the Bible, you have to put your faith in him and approach him with this childlike humility and dependence and faith because it is how we belong to the kingdom of heaven. Remember, the people were bringing their children to be touched and blessed by God, blessed by Jesus. You know what actually stands out to me the most in this passage? I saved the best for last for you. 
So pay attention. Nudge your neighbor if they've been sleeping until now. Pay attention to this moment. The people that were rebuking the parents and that were trying to keep them from drawing closer to Jesus by saying things like, Jesus doesn't have time for you. He he doesn't have time to bless the infants. Those people were not the Pharisees. They were not the Sadducees. They were the disciples. They were the 12 men that Jesus chose to walk with him throughout his ministry life. And these people were the ones missing what Jesus wanted to do. How he wanted to prioritize and bless the children. It says the disciples rebuked the people. That's a strong word. That's like forbidding someone. That's actually the same word that Jesus would use when he would rebuke the storm. When he would rebuke and cast out demons. That's the word the disciples are saying to the parents trying to bring their children to Jesus. And what does it say Jesus said? He was indignant. He was displeased. He had to set them straight by saying, no, bring the little children to me. Because to them belongs the kingdom of God. I don't want to spend time with Jesus every day like the disciples and miss out on something as important as this. The disciples, they were close to Jesus physically, but yet they were arguing about who's the greatest. They were neglecting who Jesus intended to bless. I want to encourage you today to submit to God with childlike, not childish, childlike humility, dependence, and faith. As we're in the Christmas season, it always reminds me of how how I viewed Christmas as a kid with this, this childlike wonder. And I invite you to view Jesus with this manner of humility, dependency, and faith. Would you stand with me? And if you could come up and play keys. In this Christmas season, I invite you to look back with childlike wonder and remember what Jesus did. When he came to the earth to live a sinless life, die a gruesome death, and be resurrected with power over the grave. Be filled with faith. As we close today, I want to give you an opportunity. Because maybe you've been here and you're, you're fighting for approval or, or to be the greatest instead of humbling yourself. Maybe you set out to be independent in, in need of no one in your life. I'm sorry to say you and everyone else, we are all very much in need of a Savior. Maybe you've allowed doubts to stifle your faith If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life, this is your moment. If you're here and you've been trying to do it on your own, been trying to strive for salvation, I don't want you to leave here questioning your eternity, questioning your standing with God. The Bible says in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Doesn't say you might be saved. Doesn't say it's a 50-50 chance. It says you will be saved. 
At this time of the year, I, I don't want to miss an opportunity for you to get right with God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.